Shall we start? So I want to uh, talk to you about a journey that I've been on for a number of years now. And I'll share that with you and, and perhaps um, you're on a similar journey to me. You know, I've been a Christian for a reasonable length of time. I, I started following Christ at the age of 13 and I'm a little bit older than that now. I fully saved, baptised in water, baptised in the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, feel God's presence, hear and speak to me at various times. I understand my gifting, I work out of that gifting and, and I think have a reasonable effectiveness in the kingdom of God doing that. Yet for quite a while there's been a disquiet sitting under the surface of who I am. Thinking, you know, is this it? Or am I missing something? And for a long time I've tried to actually squash that feeling down and say things like, oh, this is actually just normal. You know, we're supposed to actually work through this through faith. It's part of what God expects, that, that you know, there's this faith aspect and, and, and that, we, that we move forward. And this, this feeling of disquiet or there's got to be more is just something that's going on in here and I actually need to squash that down. And for many years, I felt that way. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, where I've been has been a great place in God. And I've seen some amazing things. God, God has worked in me. He's worked through me. Um, I've seen many people come into the kingdom. Uh, uh, I've started ministries. I've, I've helped bless ministries, helped lead things. It's been really good. But you know, I've read a lot of books about people who under the power of God transformed the society they were living in. And more and more as I've been reading the Bible over, over a number of years, I've been reading scriptures and thinking, you know, I'm not experiencing that. There's a disconnect with what I see the Bible says should be normal Christianity and what I'm experiencing. Does, does anyone else feel that way? Yeah. And I choose the word journey because in many ways I still feel like I'm at, almost at the start of that journey. But perhaps I'm starting to see what the finish might look like. And I realise that you know, for a lot of the time I haven't truly been walking in the freedom that Christ talks about. And I think that you know, fear and the enemy's lies have often limited who I am and what I can do in God. And I haven't understood what my true identity is in Jesus. Guess what? I'm learning. Some of the lies, and you might relate to some of these, is I'm not good enough. You know, I'm, I'm, I've failed at this, I've failed at that. And I've got this wrong in my life that, that you know, is still sitting there in the background. I'm not good enough. Yet the Bible says I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. 
Other times I thought, you know, I can't do it. It's just too hard. Yet the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you see the disconnect? God does things for others, but not for me. I mean, that happens with, with healing. There's, uh, you know, there is uh, uh, at least one occasion where I uh, experienced God's supernatural healing. It was actually Tim Burton prayed for me, and, and, and um, I had a, a virus. So it was back in my running days, and I, you know, normally I could, uh, uh, my training pace was about four-minute K pace, and when, while I was having this virus, I... I couldn't get quicker than six minutes. In fact, I shouldn't, be, shouldn't have been running anyway. Anyway, Tim prayed for me. The next day, I went out for a run, and she was just like, I'd never had it. And I ran one of my, I did a 1K time trial, and it was one of the fastest ones I've done. And it was just completely gone, just like that. And, but there's been lots of times I've received prayer for healing, and I haven't, not saying that God isn't doing anything, but, you know, well, I was in the healing rooms, and I was having quite get a sort of a bit of pain in the back there and receive prayer for that and and there's a little bit of decrease in pain but it's still there and so sometimes you get that feeling that God does things for others but not for me and yet the Bible says we're the apple of his eye teaches us that that we're special that we're important to him or another one is I might look stupid you know, the ad, Monique says you're dumb. <laughs> Yet the Bible says we're not to be ashamed. Yeah, you know, an example, this, this Friday, uh, Denise, William and I were at the, at the mall and uh, William and I went to McDonald's um, for tea and uh, you know, McDonald's isn't great, this was particularly bad. <laughs> Should have had the roast. <laughs> anyway, so there's this guy, we're, we're standing in the line, and I see this guy walk along, and he had a neck brace on, and he, he was actually struggling to balance, and his partner was sort of steadying him. And, and I felt a real compassion for him, and I felt, you know, I'd love to go and pray for him for healing. Fear. You know, I just stayed in the line, he wandered off, wandered away. And, you know, there's that disconnect between what if I had actually gone after this compassion I was feeling in my heart and taken a risk, stepped across the chicken line and said, look, I know a God that can heal you and pray for you. Fear limited me. And some of these, you know, fear and the lies that we own, they limit who we are, we they limit our identity and they limit the ability to step into everything that God has for us. Let me give, give you a hypothetical situation and see if you can relate to either of, of these. So, so you've decided that you are wanting to start eating healthily. Yeah. Now, you've been spending too much time at McDonald's. You decide that you want to turn that around, so you, you get up in, in, the, in the morning and you, and you get a low-sugar muesli and you get a, a, a fruit smoothie and you have that and you eat that and that's good, nourishing, healthy food and then you, you get to the morning tea break and you have a handful of nuts rather than the nice big slice of cake you'd normally have. 
then you, you, it comes to lunchtime and, and you've made yourself some, some uh, nice lean meat and a salad and so that you get into that and then, then the boss calls you into his office and he gives you a bit of a reaming, to be fair, about some work which was below performance. So you're not feeling particularly good about yourself at that point in time. So you go back to your desk and you open the drawer and there just happens to be in the back a Snickers bar that you've saved there for a rainy day. And today is definitely a rainy day. So you go there and you eat the Snickers bar and true to its motto, for a couple of seconds, Snickers really satisfies. And then you realise, oh, I was going to start eating healthily. So what happens in your thought process at that point? Do you A, think, oh, such a failure, might as well give up, I'm not going to get this anyway, I'll just go and carry on eating the way I was, it was just useless, I was, I was wrong to even think that I could achieve this. Or B, the other end of the scale, do you say, Yay, I survived that long before I failed. You know, I think next time I can even go longer without slipping and falling. Are you a saint who occasionally sins or are you a sinner? That whole thought process and the lies that go in there. Actually, you might be thinking, you know, this is either you're a cup half full or a cup half empty person. I don't actually think it matters how much water is in the cup. I think it's knowing who the source is of the water is. Now, when we don't understand who we are in Christ, we stay, I think, relatively small people. God wants us to grow us into big people, confidently extending his kingdom. You know what? I think we would rather do that as well. I think realize that we are people of promise, that we have a future. Every one of us was designed by God with a personality, a set of gifts, certain life experiences, ways that we connect with God. Every one of us is unique. Aren't you grateful that you're not like me? And do you know what? You are the best person. Everyone say, I'm the best person. You are the best person to carry out God's purposes for your life. No one else can do it as well as you can because it's not, you know, your life isn't their life. One of the, there's a number of, prophecies that we received over our group for our church and and one of the ones that came through a couple of times was that you're not second rate, you're actually number one. I think often we think of ourselves as in our identity that we're actually second rate. Jesus died just for you. He died just for for you. You are that important to him. So let's have a look at some scriptures. Exodus 17 verses 8 to 16. Coming up on the, on the screen. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. 
Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands were tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, For hands are lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. So let's look at some context for this story. So the nation of Israel was, was basically born in slavery. They, uh, Israel, with his kids, they, they went into Egypt uh, when there was famine. Uh, a new pharaoh came in. He put the Israelites into slavery. They grew to a huge nation under that slavery. And Egypt is an image of the enslavement we experience under sin, before we come to know Christ. So Israel was there in enslavement, then through many miracles, God actually brought the nation of Israel out from Egypt. They, they walked to the, to the Red Sea, and they, they were boarded on three sides. Um, Egypt thought, that's a mistake, we better go get them back. They came with their army and chariots and everything, and then we know the story that, that God parted the waters of the Red Sea the Israelites walked through on dry ground. The Egyptians tried to follow them. The Red Sea came back and, and wiped out the Egyptian army. And that going through the, the uh, sea is a, like a symbol of going through the waters of baptism, where they went from slavery into life. Okay, from there, they, the nation of Israel traveled to this place called Rephidim. And Rephidim means rest. They go to this place of rest and there God miraculously provides water and he miraculously provides food. So it's a place of rest and it's a place of God's provision for them. But was that where they were supposed to stay? It wasn't the place of promise. It was a place of provision, but they, they had a promise over their lives that they would actually go to the promised land. God had a better future for them, had a better place for them, and yet here they are in a place of rest. And, you know, it is comfortable being in a place of rest, especially if God's providing for you. And I suspect that some of them probably thought, actually, this is pretty good. I'll be comfortable here. I think I could stay here. But it's not going after the promise. And this is where we need to understand whose we are and our identity. We are a people of promise. We're people who have a future. We have a people where God has so much more for us to see happen. There's so much more than just rest and comfort. We're a people to bring transformation around us. 
you know, the place that you work, you are there to bring transformation. In your family, you are there to bring transformation. In your neighborhood, in the houses around you, you are there to bring transformation. So the nation of Israel, they're in this place of rest. God's providing water. He's providing food for them. It's pretty comfortable. And then the Amalekites attack. And the word Amalekite means to lick up. That's what the word actually means. And it creates this picture of a a group of people who are like locusts. They, they, They will move through the land and they'll just lick up everything in front of them and leave death and destruction behind them. Desolation, and it's a real image of what the enemy is like. You know, our enemy who wants to bring death and destruction. And the enemy will actually try to steal the promise over your life. He'll actually try to steal your future. He'll try to steal your identity and bring these lies that prevent us from walking into everything that God has for us. I find it interesting that Joshua was told only to choose some men. Why not all the men of fighting age? You know, there's three million odd Israelites there. There are probably a million men who could have gone out to fight, and I suspect they would have uh, vastly outnumbered the, the Amalekites. So why didn't Joshua take that number, God said to him, just choose some men to go out and do this fight. And it's one of those interesting things about fear is a powerful thing. Um, I used to play um, uh, uh, war games on the computer and you'd have these armies and they'd go and, and fight these other armies and if, if you could get the other army to, some of them to start running off and getting scared and running away, you're often the rest of the army would, would catch that fear and they'd all gone and then you'd go and annihilate them. It was always part of the aim of what you'd try to do. And so if the, you know, the Israelites had not experienced battle up to this point, this was the first fight they um, get into on their way to the promised land. And I suspect if the whole... Um, uh, people of fighting age had gone out to this fight, a number of them would have said, oh, this is too scary. First time someone comes up with me with a sword or whatever they were attacking with, I'm out of here. And next thing you have the whole army running away. Joshua wanted men of courage who would stand in the fight. And you know, how quickly do we run when there is a fight? How quickly do we run when there's a challenge to our faith? When you know where people are promised we're going going after something and then, then we strike a difficulty, a challenge. Fear starts to get in the road. Do you remember the story when Jesus came down from the mountain with Peter and John after after um Transfiguration, and they come down, and the disciples have been down there, and there's a a, a man with a son there, and the son the was uh, Bible indicates was uh, 
demon-possessed and would be thrown into fires and the disciples had tried to cast this demon out of the young boy and nothing had happened. And, and so Jesus comes down and casts, casts the demon out and the boy's in his right mind. And later on the disciples come up to him and said, Jesus, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus says to them, because you've got such little faith. And then interestingly Jesus says, but if you have faith just the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea. And the mustard seed is the, seed is the smallest seed there is. So, he, so Jesus is saying, your faith is too small, but if you actually have the smallest faith, you can see mountains cast out. So how does that actually work? And I think it's because there's two aspects to faith. There's the taking the risk and there's the perseverance. And I think the disciples gave up. And there is a fight involved in going after our destiny and, and understanding who we are and actually going after the purposes that God has for our life. And there's going to be challenges, there's going to be fights, and we don't want to be people who give up at the first sign of a fight. Yeah. And we want to allow God to build courage into us and actually get, take on the challenge and persevere and see breakthrough happen. Yeah. Am I just talking to myself? Are you getting this? So Joshua wanted people to break through around him. And if we're going after God's promise for us, part of our identity needs to be persevering to break through. And you know, this has been part of my journey. And I've been looking for opportunities of breakthrough. And I talked about um, uh, at the mall on Friday and not taking that opportunity. But you know... I praise God that I actually saw the opportunity and actually thought about doing something. And it's a step in the right direction. Um, years, I've been going to Hemna for the, for the retreat where we seek God. You know, Morris heads it up. It's a wonderful time. And a number of years ago, um, when it snowed and there's a meeting in a, a lounge that Morris was leading, and Morris suggested... Who would like to have a go at blindfold prophecy? So, you know, I was on this, this journey of trying to discover more, and so I put my hand up and said, I'll have a go, and was first up actually having a crack at it. I can't remember whether it was any good or not, but at least I had a, had a go. Let's, let's talk a little bit about laughing. You know, again, at... At Hamna, there's, there's a number of people who, who just the anointing of God comes and that's it, they're laughing all over the place. And, and you know, to be fair, at Bethel, I was expecting to see a lot of this type of manifestation uh, there, sort of part of what they're known for. Didn't see any in any of the meetings, apart from maybe Morris and Miriam. But <laughs> no, it, you know, didn't, but outside the meetings, there was a little bit. I got zapped at one stage. It's been a bit of time on the floor. But it hasn't been my normal experience of, of relating to God. In fact, I've always found it quite... Um, you know, I, I have a relatively controlled, I guess you'd say, personality, and not, not emotional. And, and so it's always been a challenge for me, and I see other people who get... get um, 
zapped and ended up rolling on the floor. And, and so I decided a number of years ago, actually, I want to experience this. So I started going after it. And wherever, whenever I was at meetings and people would be laughing, I'd sort of make sure I sort of headed over there to try and pick up some anointing. And eventually, you know, there's been a number of times where I've actually experienced the Holy Spirit come down and, and you know, that laughing happens. I don't know what I'd do if it ever happened while I was preaching, but... The, but, you know, in some ways, when it comes to laughing, I've, I've learned, you know, that's a little bit like whipped cream on top of coffee, that type of laughing. And I've been learning that, you know, there's a real power in laughter that, we, that we've lost as a church. And the Bible talks about joy, and I, I don't think you can really separate joy and laughing. And, you know, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, in God's presence is fullness of joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. All these things that I don't think you can separate the two. Yet it doesn't mean to say that we spend the whole time rolling around the floor laughing. That's, you know, that's fun when it happens. But it's so much more powerful than that. You know, I've been learning that there's power in laughing at lies. You know, God, you know, there's no sickness in heaven. And, and yet when, when we are seeing sickness here, it, you know, the devil might say to us, oh, God can't deal, heal that. And so we start laughing at that, that lie that's in our brain and actually, it actually starts to overcome that, that lie, uh, the joy of the Lord. You're driving along the road. And someone cuts in front of you. <laughs> That's not quite the joy of the Lord, is it? Instead we can go, no, that's funny. Have a bit of a laugh. Obviously they need to be there, more importantly, they, God bless them. There's a lot more to actually allowing the joy of the Lord and laughing to, to grow. But, you know, I've found that my laughing muscles are rusty. Anyway, so again, this is another thing which I'm just trying to go after God for and see, God, there's got to be more. I need to actually humble myself and see what you're wanting to do. Anyway, where did I go with that? So Joshua is fighting the Amalekites. Moses has his hands raised to the throne of God. When, he is con when Moses is connected to heaven, Joshua is winning. When the connection breaks, Joshua starts to lose. Who we are, our identity, flows out of our connection to heaven. Moses got revelation about God that God is Jehovah Nissi. God is our banner. The banner is like a flag. Uh, some of my cousins have done some genealogy around the uh, Norris history, and we go back far enough to know that uh, uh, there was a Norish, as called then, was the uh, flag bearer for William the Conqueror when he invaded England. He got the uh, castle on the Isle of Wight because of that. Um, and when we, Denise and I were in England a number of years ago, uh, she wanted to go to Westminster Abbey because there, there's uh, Valens, uh, her, her maiden name is Valence. 
There's a coffin in one of the rooms there, and she wanted to go see that. Her mum and dad had seen it. We walk into Westminster Abbey, go into the first side room. It's completely for Norris's. <laughs> We've got a whole room. So obviously there's a little bit of um, heritage there which came from being a, a flag bearer for William the Conqueror. But the thing about flag bearers is we're, we're, um, flag bearers are important because where the flag was was important. While the flag was held high, an army had confidence. They had a rally point. They had identity. They had courage. And Jesus is our ultimate flag or banner. His name is over us. He is our rally point. He is our confidence. He is is the one who gives us our identity. And the more we know Jesus, the more we start to understand our identity. Having God as our banner imports his presence, protection, and his aid extended to his people. And understand this revelation, this knowledge flows out of being connected to the throne of God. It flows out of worship. And it's something that I've found just naturally increasing. I'm just worshipping. As I've been on this journey, I'm finding myself worshipping God more and more and more. Spending more time doing it. And as I connect with God more... I find I'm discovering my identity more. We're at uh, Bethel in one of the worship services and I was at, at the um, front and I was just worshipping God and connecting with him and you know, he downloaded some revelation about me. And you know, I, I had a great childhood. Um, one of my very first memories, I must have been around two or three, because this was in, I pretty certain it was in Waikari, and I was on mum's, I think it was on mum's shoulders, uh, and walking down a shingle road, and I think mum was teaching me some, a prayer, I have no idea what the prayer was, but that's one of my earliest memories, and, you know, had great parents, they, they taught me responsibility, they taught me, the, uh, gave me a real attitude of, you know, I can, I can do this, I can go after things, and certainly felt really loved. But we weren't a hugging family. I can't remember ever actually having a hug from a father. Spent a lot of time with him. But I was there uh, worshipping God at the front. And, was, uh, and, and one of the things we're doing for starters is, is, again, working our imagination to get people to imagine themselves climbing into Jesus' lap and looking into his eyes and seeing what he's saying to you. And it's a great exercise to do. Well, not for me. Um, my imagination is I can see myself running with Jesus, running up mountains, standing on the mountaintop, doing stuff like that, and I, I really connect with God doing that. And I could never imagine myself climbing into Jesus' lap and looking in his eyes and seeing what he says to me because I didn't have that experience as a childhood. And I'm standing there worshiping, worshiping God and, and, and just this revelation about why I don't, I, I've struggled with being able to experience that in my imagination just came to me and I'd never thought of it before. And felt God say, I can fix this. And starting to experience it. But I also 
felt that uh, I've never done theophostic before, never sort of felt a need. And um, as I was there, I thought, oh, is this something I need to go and do theophostic around? At least if I do, I can actually tell people what I've experienced there. <laughs> so I might uh, jack up a time with Morris around that, just to, because I'm hungry to go for that more. Yeah. Good. I don't just want to be as it always was. I don't just want to be in a place of rest and comfort. I want that more. I want to go after the promise. And Moses was told to make sure that Joshua knew what had happened. Joshua was a man living for the promise, and I suspect that God knew the disappointment that he was going to face. You see, Joshua knew the promise, that there was a promised land that they were going to go to, and eventually the nation of Israel gets to the promised land after this experience at Rephidim fighting the Amalekites. A whole lots of other things happen. They get there, and Joshua and 11 others go and to spy out the land. And they come back, and Joshua is itching to go after the God's promise. He, him and Caleb, they come back and say, we can do this. God is with us. We will take the promised land. Let's go. The 10 others say, oh, there's giants in the land. It's too scary. We can't do it. And Joshua, wanting to go after his promise, God says, okay, you don't want to, Israel, you don't want to go in there. 40 years, I'm going to wipe out every man of age and, and it's going to be your children that will go in and take the promised land. Joshua had to wait 40 years to go after the promise that he thought he was going to get on that day. And some of you have had God's promise over your life and you thought, yes, I was going to get this, I'm going to get this. Uh, no, it hasn't happened. doesn't mean to say it's not going to happen. You know, God has a future for every one of you. He's made you unique. He's given you an identity that, that you'll grow and build and understand as you get to know Jesus more intimately. And he has a future for you and he has a promise over your life and he's going to take you into your destiny. Or you can just choose to stay in Rephidim. Rest. Relax. I don't want to stay there. I want to go on. Um, perhaps we have the band up. God has a call on every one of us. Where we find despair, lack of hope, injustice, sorrow, limitations, discouragement, pain, sickness, suffering, the enemy. He's called us to release his kingdom. He's called us to bring transformation. He's called us to see heaven brought down onto earth. He's given us the giftings, the ability, the personality to actually reach into the areas where he's placed us to see that happen. That's the call on every one of our lives. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abandon hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
starts with the word now. When is now? Now is the God of hope. There is no situation that you're facing, no situation that a person you meet is facing. There's no situation where God cannot bring hope and deliverance and his power to bear. And maybe you think you're in a hopeless situation or your future is looking hopeless. Does God say that to you? Or does he say that he is the God of hope? He has a future, he has a destiny, and we, we walk into it as we discover who we are in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we want to just say that we are yours. You're our God, you're our Savior, you're our Lord. You've called us for a fantastic future, and we, we want to walk into the destiny that you have for us. Lord, we want we, we don't want to say yes to limitation. We want to say yes to you. We want to say yes to the call that you have on our lives. We don't want to hold back, Lord Jesus. We, we pray that you'll bring revelation about who we are in you. We pray that you bring fresh revelation about who you are to us. In your holy and precious name. Amen. Let's stand.